you know, you've, I find that most people are pretty open to right. like raunchy, like weird stuff, you know? Yeah. Even though they have a, put on this persona that they gotta oh, be so. Yeah, he's a hedge fund guy, so he, he's very serious <laughs> and not all the time, but I worry. Are we being, are we going now? Yeah, we're going, but oh, like, cool. we'll just wing it, right? Yeah. But yeah, I find like, you know, people who, everyone's the same in some way. You know, yeah. I don't care if you own like this big hedge fund or whatever. Right. You still laugh at the similar jokes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's true. It's not always, like for me, I'm like typically, and this is, I've not seen this before. I don't want to like spill it. Yeah. Uh, I typically, like I was saying, just with the other podcasts that it's not, we're n- almost never serious. It's movies and television. We're goofing around through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted, I'm not saying I'm a different guy professionally or at mm-hmm. work. I'm relatively the same, but I definitely put on a professional Ryan. Oh yeah. There's, there's professional Ryan and then there's, there's let my hair down and, and it's almost like a dissociation when I'm doing, mm-hmm. you know, that. But when I'm with clients, it's just, it's, and you have some that you let your hair down a little more than others, I think. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. Hey, but welcome to the podcast. Yes. Tea time at PhysioX. We have Ryan Ankner over here. Did I say your last name right? Ankner. Yeah, Ankner. You, you got it. There we go. Perfect. They, people confuse it with the, the cell phone chargers, Anchor. Mm. They, they drop the second end. So it's Ankner. Perfect. Ankner. And he is the owner of Ankfit over in uh, Walnut Street in uh, Newton Center. Beautiful place, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Meticulous. I was going to say this compliment goes both ways because this is very much my vibe. Like just meticulousness is is key, I -hmm. think, in all things and especially in what we do. Well, yeah, you had to be intentional about everything. And I can see that right when I walk into your place. Thank you. Like things are just organized, man. Like you don't have things laying around. No. Just a the walls where you keep all the equipment and all of that. And, it's, and all the equipment is like high class. I love it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that if you leave things in a place, if things have a place, and if you have hooks and racks and everything else out, mm-hmm. like I'll never do the random basket full of garbage. Even some mm-hmm. of like PRX is a company that I love and that I recommend it to you for benches, or no, I'm sorry, for squat <laughs> rack. They do a good bench too, but I like the Prime better. Anyway. Mm-hmm they have a thing called the like the junk box and it's like even has like a bolt you can hook it on to either a rack on the wall or onto a squat rack and it's sort of just a Mm catch-all i don't like a catch-all i like every single item to have its own because then you're gonna you can look and see it and there it is rather than some wild you know goose chase hey i love that hey you know one of the things that i appreciate about you so i think i learned about you through one of my clients who goes to your wife, Lucy, yes. the hairdresser. That's the connection. I forgot about that. That is right, a connection. Right, right. Shout out to Lucy. Shout out to Lucy. Lucy just got like a brand new uh, salon that she built. Looks absolutely gorgeous. Everyone should go and check her out. And we're looking feel- actually, Lucy, I'll give her a quick plug. Lucy Danger Hair in Belmont on Trapello Road, right next to Moosey's, the ice cream place, which is awesome. And she's looking for stylists, women to rent a chair. So got two open spots, which is pretty selective, but if you're watching this or listening to this, check it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And another thing I really kind of appreciated when I looked up your profile, I'm looking at it and I'm like, this guy's raw. 
like you and your stories, you just you just speaking your mind. Kinda, yeah. Because you know, in, in this day and age, I feel like everyone kind of hides behind this professional like uh, persona about them. It's like, oh, I gotta say things a certain way, and, and you're just out there like just you. And I'm like, wait, I need to go meet this guy. So, was, it, was it always that. like that for you? Like, would you? I would say I started my business. I don't do my whole story, but I, I got into fitness. I was in nightlife and like, I'm sober 15 plus years now. So mm -hmm. I got into the, for with, I was in a couple of crappy sales jobs after college. I bounced around a bit. I was in California for a tiny bit, Florida for a tiny bit. And I did all these jobs that made no sense for me. Like sales thing was a good to have a background. And then I think I built a lot of confidence working in nightlife, bartending and hosting restaurants and, and clubs and stuff like that. And, um, it wasn't for me though. And I turned 30 behind the bar in Los Angeles. I said to myself, I gotta get out of here. Mm. I gotta figure something out. And we had a family connection that owned a small studio in Beacon Hill. They kind of got the ball rolling with me in terms of training me. And mm. then I went to the American Academy of Personal Training. And after that, I was spit out into the BSC universe. I was there for a number of years. Mm. And then I bounced a bit. And I think that's sort of where I developed my personality and fitness and just me. And I kind of found myself. Mm. And I'd at, uh, after a couple other stints, I was at Equinox for about five minutes. After a couple other spots, I ended up deciding that to open my own studio was the move. And I was very lucky to have the opportunity to open up a small little 300 square foot space in Boston that's still there today. I haven't rented out. And I think it was sort of like the first few, I had a wrap in terms of sales mm -hmm. and clients and we can chat sales too. That's always been my favorite part of the business, which is sort of the opposite of what I think most trainers will say. Most mm -hmm. trainers hate that part. And I think that's probably why I like it. Cause I'm a contrarian or something like that. And, uh, I don't know. I think from having my own space, there was no option for me to get any, there weren't, it wasn't the, the, the Boston space that I have does not have a street presence. It's, it's in a residential location. It's, you wouldn't know it exists. There's no sign. And I did it exactly how I want and it's a beautiful little space, but no one knew it existed. So I had to develop some sort of a, an Instagram, sure, it helped a little bit. People would trickle in here and there. And I was, I joined a networking group and I met a bunch of people through that and that helped. And it's sort of that snowballed into second, third, fourth tier referrals that have still built my business today. And I think part of me retaining clients and developing, building relationships, and you and I have touched on this before, I'll never call myself a strength coach, partially because I think there's more to it than strength. I think strength is probably the most important thing, but there's more to it. I've always identified as a personal trainer, even after personal training school, where we learned under a guy who was strictly a do not call yourselves personal trainers, your strength coaches kind of guy. Mm. Um, what makes you think, what makes you, why is that? The personal side. Yeah. Well, and that's, well, this well, is part well, of my, do you want me to give you the pitch? This well, is like my, this well, is how I do my pitch. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Give me your pitch. The pitch is when I'm talking to a new client and I'm not really taking new clients anymore. I'm more trying to feed the other uh, gentleman and soon to be lady renting space in my location. So, but when I'm taking clients, when I'm talking to people, part of it is it's not a sales pitch. It's mm. not a buy this. Will you know buy these sessions and you'll lose this weight? I don't do guarantees. I don't I don't call myself the best trainer in Boston. I don't say I'm the best trainer in Newton. I hate all of that. I think it's gimmicky. 
What I'll say is this, that there are a lot of personal trainers and there are a lot of strength coaches and there are a lot of guys that are just as good or better than I am some walking distance from me. Mm -hmm. Good for them. There is no one on the planet who does the personal side better than I do. Mm. I will remember you and your life. I focus on the mind-body connection and we get to know each other. My relationship building skills, I think, is where I excel mm -hmm. in terms of the client managing, client relationships and re retention of, I have clients some for a decade now. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. so you really focus on the personal part versus Correct. just the training part. Yes. Which I 100% agree. I mean, you gotta have that personal relationship with for this sure. person. You gotta know this person. If you're gonna work on changing this person's body, right, sure. and mind-body connection, that's huge. I mean, I work with that all the time over here when it comes to rehab and getting people's over injuries because the way you think about your body right. affects how you move, For affects sure. how you do everything. Sure. So I love that. So, when, so whenever you hear like strength coach, you just, that's just a word that and you I, kind of stay away from. No judgment on people that refer to themselves as such. I have guys that rent from me that would probably be advertised that way. But mm -hmm. I, and I think there's definitely a place for it, but it's not me. Mm-hmm. Because I have plenty of clients that we barely even pick up a weight. Mm -hmm. Not plenty, but a few. Older women, or and not to say that there's not an element of picking up a heavy weight when you're 75 years old that's awesome. I, I do believe, though, that for me, that just was never my brand. Mm -hmm. And I hate to say the word brand, I think it sounds trite, but mm -hmm. uh, my brand is what you're describing, just that raw... I am who I am. And sometimes I, I'm self-conscious, like I was mentioning right in the beginning, like I have a podcast that's about movies and television. It's called Enough the Podcast. It's linked to my socials. And I, it's a lot of fun, but we do, as comedians say, we work a little blue and we will curse and we're offensive and we do characters that are parodies of people that are not like us. And it's a lot of fun. And I, but it's me, it's at my absolute rawest. And mm -hmm. sometimes, when meeting new clients, I, there's professional Ryan where I'm trying to channel him a little bit now. Or, <laughs> you know, I, I look the part and um, I sound like I know what I'm talking about. And I've never been a super technical. Like when you and I scheduled this, I jokingly was saying to you, don't ask me any anatomy questions. I don't want to look like an asshole. I don't know <laughs> if I can curse, but I curse a lot. So, so my joke is that like, I'm way better in practice than anything else, which is why I, the American Academy of Personal Training, I actually love those guys. And I had a, a, a really good experience there in the, just the, it was always for me, it was always, I loved doing the, the just the tactile element of, if you're going to show me how to do something, it's not going to work. If, I'm, if it's coming from a book, that's not going to work. I need mm -hmm. hands on. Right, right. Um, so yeah, the, the, the realness of, of me and my training, I think is what sort of, I'm never going to be one of those guys that's talking motivation Monday and looking into the camera. Like if I'm looking into the camera doing a video with subtitles popping up, it's going to be a little silly. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I love about you yeah, as well. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that really shines in kind of everything. I mean, it is, it is your brand. I mean, the tattoos that you wear, the socks that you're wearing right now. I've, oh, yeah. I've seen, I've seen like the a little bombas. snapshots. Oh, oh, those these bombas? are the bombas. Oh yeah, they have. Oh, they had. These are limited the edition. I know. I have those okay. too. These are limited edition. They are the Pride collection for mm. Gay Pride, and I saw them and I was like, hell yeah, because I love like just rainbow stuff. I think it's the coolest. No, that's sick. I didn't yeah. know they're bombas. They don't make them anymore. I would buy fifty of them if I could, but I have a whole. <laughs> I have a package, and these are my favorite ones. And I, I knew it was a shoes off day, so I did these ones on purpose. Because I'm a sneakerhead, so if I, I can't flex it. my sneakers, I gotta <laughs> flex my socks. 
you know? I love how intentional this whole thing is, even from the socks that you're wearing. Everything I do, I hate to be one of those people that's like super rehearsed because I'm not, but at the same time I can be in some, in mm -hmm. some there's, there's a thought to everything that I do. And there's also a chaos. Like for me, like I would say that I am diagnosably obsessive compulsive. And I'm not one of those people that uses that like an expression. Like, oh, I'm so OCD because I put the dishes away. No, for me, it's, it's a, I'm yeah. obsessive compulsive to the point where like being in a space like this is so soothing to me, given like I can go like this and I know for a fact, no dust. Mm. Awesome. And it's not just that though. For me, the, the OCD sort of, it, it, organized chaos has always been my, my style in the sense of from even when I'm a kid, my parents, we grew up in a very, very clean, you know, neat house where we were shoes off house. We were a meticulous, everything kind of place. And I would always been, I always had sort of license to do whatever I wanted in my own space. And I covered every inch of the walls with stuff, music, posters, movies, stickers. It was legit. It was on the ceiling. And mm -hmm. I, have a space in my house now that is a similar kind of vibe. My friend said it would be like if a 17 year old Ank had money. And that's, <laughs> people call me Ank, Ank Fit. And it's funny, I have like a movie theater set up and my podcast set up is down there. Mm. And then I have movie posters and just junk all over the place. But it's meticulous. There's no dust, the floors you could eat off of, mm -hmm. and I, it's just spotless clean, but it's stuff. It's chaotic. It's stuff everywhere. Like minimalist. I'm a maximalist. Right, I right. Yeah, I think a maximalist would be a perfect word to describe you. Yeah. And I think it's so nice that you just fully embrace all of that. Right? You're not trying to hide any of it. It's just no. all out there for everyone to see. And when you're building a business, when you're building a brand, that's kind of the easiest way to do it, right? For sure. Because I remember when I was building this thing and I was like, hey, you know what? I put on, I put on like a polo to try to take like a profile picture. And I did like 10 shots, like. Serious face. Yeah, and I'm like, man, right. I, I don't. That Wasn't one, your vibe. It's not me, man. So what I ended up doing was I have a t-shirt on, I have some short shorts, I sat on my ottoman and I just go like that. And that was my first profile pic. And, and from there, I'm like, you know what? I'm just never gonna try to do anything that doesn't feel like me. Right. And I think that's where we vibe. Cause we're, sure. we're on the same page, we're like, hey, this is, like when you do something or you say something, and then I, for me, I'm like, of course Ryan would say something like that. <laughs> you know, it, it, it wouldn't even like, <laughs> it just yeah. makes a lot of sense. So, which brings me to this really funny point, which was like, I think it was like last week or something, you caught these guys uh, on, on your door, and, oh, they wow. ripped, and they ripped the, like the pride sticker Speaking off. of pride, yeah. Um, full story is, believe it or not, it was not, la it was, it was, I caught them about a week ago, but it had happened a week prior and I didn't notice it right away. So for those that have not been by my space, I'm on Walnut Street in Newton and it, at the front door I put, uh, I wanted to like make a statement that, in my mind, it's just a good way to show that you're not an asshole to have a pride flag on the door. So mm -hmm. I thought that would be my, <laughs> my stance, that like I'm not a homophobe and, and that it was a welcome place. And a few of my clients really appreciated it. And I put a little, just, it's not enormous. It's not flapping in the wind. It's not in your face. Some people don't even notice it. It's this big, it's by the handle. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was nice. And then one day I noticed it wasn't there. And I thought to myself, oh man, like it didn't peel off. I knew that it, you know what I mean? And I knew someone had vandalized it. And so I went to my security camera and it had been, a, it had been gone for a week, which you'd think I would have caught it, right? But I've mm -hmm. had a hectic fall, I guess you could say. 
And uh, I searched through a week of footage and found these four young men. Um, I say young men, but one of them had a full beard, so I don't know if he's growing a beard at 18 or what, but they mm -hmm. look, the other ones look like high school kids. They walk by, one of them points at the flag, the other one's got a hoodie over his head and he goes over and he peels it off. And it's almost like he knew he was on camera. Right. So I reported it to the Newton police, not based on the fact that a $4 sticker yeah. was missing, but based on the fact that I don't like to be effed with and I don't think that there's any place for homophobia in my space or in Newton in general. And it's, you know, I, admittedly, I'm not like the biggest advocate, like I'm not, you know, in marching in parades or anything, but little statements I think are important. And I also, I, when I was a kid, I don't want to say I got bullied a lot as a kid, but I think that I was sort of a pushover in my younger years. And my wife always uh, jokes about how I'm super confrontational now, and that's not quite it. I just, mm. there's never a time where, if appropriate, I'm not going to stand up for myself. And I'm human, so sometimes I overstep. But I think in this particular instance, I thought filing a police report, I also took the video footage, I, I screenshot, I, I posted the video all over social media, and then I screenshotted it, printed the picture out, and I put it up on the glass at the business. That, that was my favorite part. For, I, thought you, I thought you got a kick out of that, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I, have to show I wanted that everyone to here. see it as they walk by, and probably about 10,000 people would walk by in a day, if I had to guess. Like, it's it, maybe not 10,000, but it's, it's a lot of people walk by, which mm -hmm. is great. It's a wonderful to have a street presence. And I think probably a couple hundred of them will take a look and read the little post, and they mm -hmm. probably think, oh my God. And I'm hope, my goal was that the kids would see it themselves and go off. Oh, yeah. Or I don't know if I'm allowed to curse here, but you're, you're good, man. <laughs> you can curse all you want. Beat me out. Be yourself. Yeah, that's that's, that's all I ask. This is like when I'm training uh, older clients, particularly women. I don't want to curse around them, so it's, I have to kind of. I do have a bit of a mouth with that, though. Hey, everything is safe here. Love you it. You do what you need to do. Is I mean, we're all about authenticity. I mean, our whole space is gonna build around this motif. Like, mm. look, we want people to be themselves. And when you're in pain, it's hard to be yourself because you have to worry about all True. those stuff that you gotta take care of. So, oh, I can't do this because my shoulder hurts. And you can't really express yourself in the most authentic way. I mean, even if you look at the logo here, the, the teal is the Chinese character for a human. It's just... See, I didn't know that. Oh, there you go. Now, now you know. Now I do. It's, the premise is, hey, if you peel away all the bullshit, you peel away your job, you peel away all your social status, money, everything. You're just a human at the end of the day. And how do you right. express that human quality? And what we try to build is, well, how do we enhance that human experience? So when I have people on this podcast, I love having just authentic people speaking the truth, speaking their mind, and just not holding anything back. So swear away, man. Love it. Okay. Swear away. That's sort of like the... I hate to quote Fight Club because it's too easy, but that, you know, the movie, not the book, but the, like, you are not your job, you are not your, you know, yeah. the whole list of things. You are not your fucking khakis was my favorite. <laughs> that's, to me, to me, that's the essence of, and I'm a materialistic, I'm a, I hate, I spend most of my time trying not to be hypocritical, and that's why I'll admit that, like, a lot of the, you know, ideologies I subscribe to without even meaning to are hypocritical in some sense. But for example, I'm more materialistic than I'd like to be. And I love stuff. Like I'm yeah. all, I love stuff. And I wish that I was way more Buddhist about it in the sense that like I didn't need to. Lucy and I, my wife and I will even joke about how like 
Well, like for example, I last year I gave up tattoos for like six months and mm -hmm. sneakers. I didn't buy any tattoos or, or didn't get any tattoos. I didn't buy any sneakers for six months or so, and I saved a ton of money. Mm -hmm. And in the process, I learned it got me a little better about that spontaneous. Because at one point, I was buying like a pair of sneakers every week, oh, wow. which is a little ridiculous. I have a room. Yeah, I was put them say, in. Well, like, I'm running out of room. Put <laughs> those sneakers. I was running out of room, and I don't get rid of them. I hoard them all like a maniac. And like I said, mm -hmm. it's this organized chaos I can't escape from with that sort of thing. Yeah. But well, what about sneakers that you? That I've been into them forever. I don't. I, I, I go, I've gone through, certainly gone through phases, and I started out, I remember when I was a little kid, and everybody started getting Air Jordans, and like that was the thing, and I remember I got a pair of Air Jordans, and I thought I was the coolest person on the planet, and then high school, college rolled around, and I got like, I remember the Allen Iversons were big, and the Adidas, mm -hmm. so the, I think the Allen Iversons were a Reebok shoe, I had the high tops and the low tops, and then I had like the Adidas, Sambas, Mm -hmm. and the Adidas um, superstars, both the high top and the low top. And I got the, all of those were like the big thing. And then even like the 50 Cent had the G-Unit sneakers. I remember getting you those got in the college. Oh yeah, I got those in college. <laughs> they didn't even fit me, they were uncomfortable and I wore them anyway just because they were so rare. And I remember I have some sort of a weird obsession with rare things. Like if you tell me like something's limited edition, I'm way more inclined to I fall for it all the time. I'm a total mark when it comes to, that's, for me, that's the capitalism and consumerism in me that I love about myself because it's kind of funny, but I also kind of hate it. I feel the same way. Yeah. I mean, I do a lot of research on branding, marketing, why do people buy certain things, why do people buy certain luxury goods, right. when you can get like a bag for like 90% of the price or 10% of the price yeah. that you pay for. But we all fall for it. Everyone loves exclusive things. It's just part of the human psyche, yeah. I feel. Every, every human is very similar. Right. Like, they need to survive. And through the survival, survival mechanism, there's something about being kind of like a leader of a tribe. And when you have something exclusive, it kind of gives you that little bit of that yeah. feeling. It's like, yeah. If you have the best thing. Yeah, yeah. And you have the best collect collections have always been yeah. somewhat of an appealing thing to me too whether I, I collect like my movie tickets when i go to the movies i save mm -hmm. those i have like every pretty much somewhere i have every movie ticket i've ever gotten mm -hmm. which is hundreds yeah. and they fit in the cigar box you know so it's easy but yeah i think we're all i think items is not just items i think items tells a story about yourself oh, sure. it tells about a story about yourself as, as like a person like even how you dress Right? People buy things not because of the things, but I think people buy things because of what it represents about you. Mm. And I love that. So when I walk in, when I see someone, I'm like, oh, it's an interesting way they dressed. I kind of, you know, I do a little like guess on like what this person kind of kind of would be like, you know. And it's cool when you see someone that looks different and unique in, in Boston in particular, because Boston has the uniform. Like they, I, yeah, they, I've they, been here most of my life. I grew up in the South Shore and the like, you know, jeans, vest, you know, uh -huh. Jeep, whatever. Like there's a certain like that, like people joke, like the finance bro look or whatever. <laughs> it's probably not no, no knocking them. You know, I have a few of them in my family. Uh, my brother's a finance guy, my sister, you know, like love mm -hmm. them very much and they both have good style, but it's, it's a different style than 
I got, I used to be self-conscious when people would tease me for, for dressing or looking a little differently. Like if I was, I remember I was wearing, like, I'm a bit older than you. I'm, I'm 40 now, but in the early 2000s, the thing was that your pants had to be way, way low and they had to be way too big for you. Mm-hmm. Nobody wore pants that fit them. And I remember sometime around 20 or 2006, I said to myself, like, I want to wear jeans that are the right size. And I didn't buy skinny jeans or tight jeans. Those have never fit me properly, but I bought jeans that fit me. Mm-hmm. And I remember everyone kind of goofing on me at first. I'm not saying I'm some sort of a fashion trendsetter, but it was it cracked me up that that was a thing that people thought was funny and then like three years later we were all doing it and then mm-hmm. fast forward another year everybody was wearing the skinny jeans which you know they're now everyone's very much going the other direction and people's pants are too big again so it's mm-hmm. i'm kind of at this point in my life i'm out of style and i don't mm-hmm. care right. and i, I a, a client of mine and i who are about the same age were joking about it there's a refinery 29 article about how like if we look to gen z <laughs> for fashion sense then we're looking in the wrong place in this because they'll make fun of the way that like even my wife being a hairstylist will look at like the way they talk about like bangs or the way you part your hair or the color of your hair even like certain types of blonde they're now calling college blonde Mm. and it's in a you know in a with a negative connotation Mm -hmm. that's not a compliment so to me i don't know i i at this point like i am like we're kind of dressed the same now like i i'm in the lululemon joggers or the aloe yoga joggers with some sort of a crew neck sweatshirt pretty, and pretty every single day we wearing match. the same outfit yeah. <laughs> this is i got this I'll, I'll give them a plug too this is uh cats of san bernardino they're a, a rescue cat organization out of uh, california um i like cat stuff a lot mm-hmm. yeah it shows <laughs> yeah i'll tell you one little thing there's a moment in time when I was the trendsetter and it was like a similar story. And I forget what year it was, but I was the first one to put on these like super short shorts, like five inch inch. to five inch. Oh yeah. That was before, that was before five inches were like a thing. That was risky back. Depending on how long ago it was, that was a risky fashion move. It it was risky. I was wearing it. I I was out in a a big volleyball tournament. All my teammates were making fun of me. (laughs) Call me in. I'm just like, you guys, you guys don't understand. You'll see. Yeah. You'll see. A year, two years later, everyone rocking it. And People I'm doing just, four inch now. There's guys you get. There's guys with three inch shorts. It's ridiculous. Ooh, I'm a seven inch guy. Yeah, I like the. Because I wear them up a little higher, so it's it's above the knee enough. If it's not above the knee, I don't I don't consider them shorts. If it goes below the knee, like we started watching some sort of a reality. We watch a lot of reality TV, admittedly, and it was a housewives show. One of the housewives. Orange County, and the kid, came, one of the guys comes out, and he's 18, and it's 2006, and he's got the basketball shorts that are, like, this low. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Like, he's Paul Pierce. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not I a sports guy. That's the first one I could think of. Dude, but that's how I wanted to dress back then when I was a kid. That was cool back then. Yeah, yeah. My mom wouldn't For let sure. me, though. My parents didn't want My mom, like, that. set some boundaries with, with clothes, and I remember Abercrombie was really cool when I was in private school, so I had a bunch of Abercrombie and Fitch which somehow they're coming back. I actually bought a shirt from them recently. There's an interesting documentary about that whole company. Two of them, I think. Isn't it good? Like how they they, they rebranded themselves and everything with how they they were, the fat shaming and whatnot. Honestly, I was wearing a lot of Abercrombie and Fitch at a very weird time in my life. It Mm. it It was high school and I wanted to fit in with like the American culture, and I, I and I thought that was like the best way to do it, mm. right? It's just, I, I mean, Abercrombie, their branding is just Americano. Oh, for sure. Right, 
and this Asian kid coming in, I'm just like, no one else kind of looked like me. I'm like, well, I want to be like everybody else. Right. And for a couple of years, I was wearing that. And I was like shunning my Asian like heritage. Right. And I was expressing that through the clothes that I wear. And now I'm like totally oppositely, you know. For sure. I got yeah. it all in the front now. I feel like as a kid, we get, we get influenced by so many other things that we see. But I think maturity comes from understanding who you really are yeah. and not afraid to just kind of put that into the forefront. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I have zero experience. I, I'm as American as it gets, I suppose. And uh, Irish Catholic grew up in an Irish Catholic town. Went to, uh, the, I guess the only time I've ever felt like an outcast was in, I was in private school, like I mentioned, for a little bit. And there was a lot of uh, wasps there, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. And I remember thinking that, and a lot of them were old money. And I, we grew up very comfortable. We were from privilege, for sure. I won't deny that. But it, I remember feeling a little out of place in that sense because I had gone to elementary school with mostly people that were kind of like me. And we had CCD where, for those that aren't Catholic or didn't get raised, I'm not confirmed, but I was Catholic for a bit. Uh, CCD is like after school on Monday afternoons, you go over to somebody's house and they read Bible stuff and you do mm. like quizzes about Jesus. And it, it's not my, it was not my favorite thing. And then, mm. but I was under the impression that was just like a part of life for everybody. And it wasn't. And I didn't really experience a ton of diversity in general until I got to college. Mm. I went to Curry College in Milton for communication and had no freaking clue what I wanted to do. But I was, you know, I was fascinated to make friends that were not white guys. Mm. That was like my, I thought it was the Cause best. You, cause you I was like, so fucking bored. Because yeah. you just like different things, man. <laughs> I do. You just like everything that's different from whatever, what everyone else is doing. Yeah. <laughs> hence the place that you own, hence all the stuff that you do. Just a different, different vibe entirely. Yeah. Hey, I want to swing our conversation back to this early point, because I read that you lost 80 pounds at some point. About, yeah. Yeah, wh how much did you weigh and like, when, when I was, was in, that? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the middle now. We'll say it this way. I grew up in a very active, healthy family that loved like sports and, and all that stuff. And, you know, my siblings were very active and I was active too, begrudgingly. I was not into the fitness thing. I mean, mm. my parents had me work with a trainer at a young age and I, he was a really, really good guy, Kevin Orkut, and he actually is still in the business. He's awesome, he's down the South Shore. And Kevin was a great mentor for me, kind of changed my mindset and got me into feeling in shape and, and working towards my fitness goals for the first time. And I'd say at like 15, I got into shape for the first time and I thought, this is amazing. Mm. And then, as I mentioned, I'm sober and there's a reason for that. When I got to high school, talking about feeling left out or not fitting in. Mm. My way of fitting in was like, I'm not tough. I'm not super handsome. I was kind of an awkward kid. I was a little chubby, just going through growing. I was probably, you know, I'm like 6'1", 6'2 now. I was probably about this height, but like hadn't really stretched out yet. Mm. I just hadn't, I had no idea who I was. And I switched schools and I was in 10th grade at Norwell High School and people were very nice, like it wasn't, it wasn't like a movie, you know, it was like people were very welcoming and I just was shy and whatever. And I thought my way of getting to know everybody is to get into drinking and drugs. That would mm. be the cool way to get cool. So at like 16, I started smoking pot and drinking a decent amount. And with that comes 
I quit all sports. I stopped working out. I started eating whatever I wanted. I made friends with everybody. I, I, you know, by the senior year, I became class president and I was, you know, quote unquote popular and felt cool for the first time in my life, really. But I was chubby. And I was like the chubby, funny guy that people didn't take seriously. Mm. And I used humor as a defense mechanism. I used food as a defense mechanism. I would just like get kicked out of class on purpose and like eat garbage food all the time just because it made me feel better. And I leaned into food hard. And I was never obese. I mean, I was probably medically definition obese, but I was never like, you wouldn't identify. I was just like the chubby party animal. Mm. I had like the John Belushi mentality of just drink everything, eat everything, nothing matters, stay up all night, skip work, who cares? I didn't take myself or life seriously. Mm-hmm. And I've told this story in AA and all that, and I don't do it anymore, but, you know, at about 20, we'll call it 23, 24, right before I got sober, I was like 240 pounds, but like no muscle whatsoever, <laughs> all fat, beer face, gut, man breasts, the whole deal. And I was so unhappy with how, I remember you'd, I'd feel myself jiggle when a car hit bumps. Mm-hmm. I was just, oh, I was so, so unhappy with myself and the way that I looked and felt. And I said to myself like, this is it, I guess. And I, I think I was able to shed a little bit of weight here and there, but I was always hovering somewhere unhealthy. And then I got sober. I, got, I went to a treatment program. I will, I'll spare all the details, but I, I ended up fitness sort of like became, I was living in South Florida, taking the bus everywhere because I was living like from halfway houses to, um, and then I ended up getting an apartment with some friends and to get to work, I had a sales job and I was taking the bus and my dad said, well, how about if I help you out and get you a bike? And I was 24, 25 and I thought that was awesome. So I think for my birthday or something, I got a bike and I would ride this bike all over the place. And then I started doing, I joined a gym and I was riding and I was 25 and like working out again and in, into it for the first time. And from 25 to 30, I lost, I went from 240 pounds to 153 pounds. Oh, that's like, from riding a bike. And, and running, I got into running, I got right. into lifting, I got into CrossFit. When I lived in Los Angeles, I was doing CrossFit, right. hurt myself 400 times. And people always say, it's not, there's no risk of injury. There is, but... <laughs> You probably have a room full of CrossFitters in the back. No offense, CrossFit it's people. It's funny because we don't have any CrossFitters. Well, their injuries are, yeah. are battle wounds. We should be going to these CrossFit gyms, but, but we're not. Our, our population is more just the general population of people. Okay. Yeah, yeah so, <laughs> but I, I, I lost weight through all of those tools, through working with various trainers. and I ended up working with a trainer at Boston Sports Club, and then we, I switched through a couple of them, and then I quit my sales job, and I became... You know, there's a few steps in between, but I became a trainer at Boston Sports Club. And so I already kind of knew the rap. I, I knew what it was and what it was about. And, and, and then I got kind of, to be perfectly honest, I went through a, a couple of years of my life where I, we were talking about this off mic. I, was, I had a six pack for the first time in my life and I was obsessed with low body fat. And I mean, I'm at my height, 153 to 160 pounds as my swing my pivot point was ridiculous. I looked, I'm 205 right now. Mm-hmm. I looked ridiculous at 150, 160. Mm-hmm. I looked sick. And I thought I was killing it. 
and I just kept losing weight and losing weight. And one, I would go as far as to say it was eating disordered behavior. And I went to, you know, I'd been in AA and NA and I tried the eating, it's uh, OA, Overeaters Anonymous, I think is the catch-all. Mm. But I tried that because I thought, you know, when I got sober, I thought it would be another thing to look at. Because they point, in, in treatment, they pointed that out to me. Like, you know, you're, you're in the swimming pool a lot doing laps and we're looking at your grocery list of things you're buying because they would give you 75 bucks a week for groceries and then you go to the store. I was buying like celery and yogurt and like nothing. Mm. I was, there was definitely some eating disordered issues that I've since, thank God, worked through. But to a hundred pound range is where I should be. And I think that the single digit body fat game is not for me. It's not in my genetics. Mm. And, uh, you know, one of my sales pitches with p- new clients, too, that some guys will come in and they say, I want I want to be single digits. I want it. I want abs. And I'll say there are more millionaires in America than there are guys with abs. Mm-hmm. That's a proven statistic. And I do agree that it would probably be easier to make a million dollars than it would be to maintain a <laughs> six pack for the rest of your life is the, is the gist yeah, of it. Yeah. I don't know. So it's something I'm happy with myself and the way that I look, but I'm. There's always going to be an element of body dysmorphia. There's always yeah. going to be your shoulders look smaller, your chest looks smaller, your stomach looks fatter. Yeah. Well, help me understand, like, what yeah. is the revelation that you have that, that made you decide to go sober in the, in the first place? To be perfectly honest, I was, I was 24 and I was, like, had been fired from my, I had a shitty sales job at Office Depot, literally like stocking shelves selling pens and, and chairs. Mm. And like a buddy of mine had hooked me up when I couldn't find a job. And, I had a crappy sales job at Office Depot. I got fired because I was getting drunk on the job or not necessarily drinking at work, but I was showing up hungover and just, I was useless. I was calling in all the time. They let me slide a million times. And then eventually they were like, okay, Ryan, we can't do this anymore. You're fired. And I remember crying in the parking lot in my car as I drove home, just humiliated. And it's an, in my mind, I'm like, you're 22, or I guess I was 23. I was like, you're 23 years old. You can't even hold a job selling pens. And Instead of, I finished college a little late. I finished college uh, at 24 and I was living at my mom's house and I now I had, and I went like six months with no job and I went to Bonnaroo. We've talked about festivals. Love Bonnaroo. I know you love Bonnaroo. Love Bonnaroo. But you do Bonnaroo in a healthy way. I did Bonnaroo <laughs> in a... I'm not sure if there's a healthy way to do Bonnaroo. Touche. I, I did Bonnaroo in a like, I'm socially anxious. I'm afraid of germs. And I like music, but I don't really love a concert unless it's like a certain specific vibe. <laughs> what are you doing in Bonnaroo? And I, well, right. I was just sort of a yes man. My friends were going to Bonnaroo. I was like, let's do it. And so for me to be comfortable at Bonnaroo, my buddies and I drove down in this RV and I said to myself, I'm going to be drunk the entire time. So I brought my Bacardi. I was a big Bacardi guy. And I just started drinking in the RV. And I said, sorry guys, I can't help drive, I'm drunk. And that became like the narrative and I just stayed drunk for five days, just nonstop. And, and did a little bit of drugs, but more just the drinking. That was at a stage in my life right before I really got sober where I told myself, I'll stop doing real drugs and I'll just drink and smoke weed. And this is something I can maintain for the rest of my life. And in the AA Big Book, they have chapters about, and I'm, I sound like I'm an AA guy, I'm really not anymore, but it helped in the beginning. Um, but there's a chapter where they're like, oh, he switches, you switch from hard alcohol to beer or hard alcohol to wine, and then you think you're going to make it work, and you don't. So 
I, I leave Bonnaroo, I keep partying like I'm still at Bonnaroo. And I mentioned already, I'm not a sports guy. This is 2008 when I got sober, the year the Celtics won the championship. Mm -hmm. And I used the Celtics being in the championship as an excuse to keep drinking on all the, you know, uh, the next couple of weeknights after leaving Bonnaroo. So literally we got home on a Sunday and I, I remember I went to go see a movie like that, the, like Ang Lee's Incredible Hulk or something, whatever was out then. I think the Edward Norton one that really bombed and before Marvel movies ruined the film industry. We can talk about that. <laughs> and I, I just was drunk as hell then and then I just kept going. It's like, oh yeah, the Celtics games, I gotta watch these and be drunk. And then like, <clears throat> I uh, was at a party that weekend and I got drunk and I got in a fight with my friends I don't remember this, but they told me that I got mad about something that was just a drunk guy getting mad. And I found, they'd hidden my keys on me. I found them. I got into my car and I tried to drive home and I made it all the way to my neighborhood and I passed out behind the wheel. And I wasn't speeding, but I was, you know, probably going the speed limit 30-ish. And I drove into a tree and it was an older car. It was a, you know, so it looked okay. I remember coming out of it then and I kind of remember getting out of the car and it was dark and it, the car looked okay until I really saw the other side and I thought I was stuck in the mud so I remember calling friends you gotta pull me out of the mud and then like my friends came and showed up and they're like Ank this car's totaled like you drove into the tree and I had no clue so you know I got very lucky in that like I had a supportive family that never gave up on me and that loved me very much and wanted to help me and like at the time I resented it at the time I didn't see how good I had and how lucky I was and how privileged I was to be able to be, because a lot of people in that situation, they would have said, bye, you're 24, you're unemployed, you're a fucking loser, get out of my house. My family didn't give up on me, they never did. And they were cool about it. And they helped me get down to rehab and I went to a place in Florida and I didn't love the place in particular, but I met some really supportive people. I had a counselor, Michael Herbert, who was really instrumental and I just, I had no other choice. Mm -hmm. For me, it was like get sober or like I'm out of the house and I'm dead. Mm -hmm. And I knew that in that moment. I was thinking like, because I, I was a drunk driver, I would get mm -hmm. behind the wheel. And I never wanted to, but I was a blackout drinker. So I would wake up and I would have driven. And I, it was, was a problem. Mm -hmm. And it was something I would have nightmares about. And it was like, um, so for me, it's like, I didn't have a choice. It was get sober or hurt somebody or myself or both. And I'm every minute of every day, I'm, there's of course any addict or alcoholic will tell you there's minutes where you're like, you know what, maybe today's the day. I'm never ever going to drink or do drugs again, mm -hmm. never. And my life is, I have phenomenal wife, phenomenal house, phenomenal business, phenomenal friends around me. Mm -hmm. And it's all because of sobriety and right. because of my supportive family. Like wow. sobriety would, would take my sobriety away, none of that stays. Not a single mm -hmm. thing, I'd lose everything. And I know that. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, it does kind of take a little, little bit of that rock bottom to really make you uh, make that tough decision, yeah. huh? Believe it or not, I'm, I'm in, in what I've heard referred to as a low bottom drunk. I've mm. been with guys who were, you know, I've been in meetings and whatever and talked to other sober guys that their situation was they had to be in treatment or they'd go to prison. I've never really had mm. any legal issues that weren't a quick slap on the wrist. You know, I was, and a part of that I think comes with privilege from being a white kid with money 
who mm. grew up in a suburban town where people knew who I was and I had cops that would, you know, kind of, I don't want to say look the other way, but, you know, there were times where I definitely should have been arrested and wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I think if I were a person of color in a neighborhood where people weren't necessarily trying to keep everything on the up and up and nice, mm -hmm. there would have been different situations. Yeah. I love that you're even self-aware that you were coming out of that type of privilege yeah. and things could have been a lot different otherwise. For yeah, me, my, sorry to cut you off, my biggest brand is, is self-awareness and humility and I, I mm. definitely am not perfect all the time by any means, yeah. but just recognizing that. Yeah. So I imagine when you work with clients, some of the, your personality definitely kind of spills over oh, for sure. into lessons for people working to increase the, the fitness and things like that. What, what are some of like your, the big lessons that you kind of bestow onto your clients? For me, that's a great question. Um, it's a number of things. I think that a lot of people come to me when they are struggling whether it be weight loss. I used to, in my early years of doing this, I was, it was my hacky line was I would do, I would consider, I would tell people I was a body transformation specialist. And in hindsight, I look back at that and I'm like, that's so gross. Cause it's like, we're all doing that. Mm -hmm. You're doing that. We're all doing it. That's not, there's no, that's not a specialist. That's stupid. And the way I said it was stupid, at least. I'm sure there's someone out there that has a better angle of it, but and I would also do this whole breakdown with people where it was like a hard sell almost where I would give them the hours in the week and like how much time they have and how they need to devote this and that. And I'm a much more of a soft touch kind of guy now where I say, if I have time for you, I'll consider this, you know, let's see if it mm -hmm. works. My first meeting with people is always just as sort of a chat. Mm -hmm. I do a quick movement screen. Like it's not even an FMS. It's my version of it mm -hmm. where I can see how much someone knows about their body and what hurts. And I don't care about anything if you have pain. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if you want to lose weight but you have pain, then the weight loss doesn't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. Unless losing weight will alleviate the pain, which often is the case. Mm -hmm. My brand, I think, with, with getting to know my clients is letting them know it's a human being kind of thing. That, like, there's never... I used to sort of push, you know cut out carbs and you know I fell for all the random gimmicks and I'm a I do the intermittent fasting now as I mentioned I don't really push that on people I'll suggest it I say if that's it's something that's made my life easier I was able to drop a few pounds that I gained and and keep in a healthier way than what I'd been doing when I was eating disordered actively yeah. um I think that like understanding why, because I think for me fitness, and I'm not really answering the question perfectly, um, but I think fitness for me is so much more than, you know, the competitive element or pouring sweat or PRs mm. or being the best at exercise is sort of that mentality that a lot of guys have and, or like competing. Like I, I was a runner for years and it was, I always joke that it's the only fitness thing I ever really got good at and like really was an ex excellent runner at a time. And, but I never did a marathon, I never did a 5K, I never did a half, nothing. I signed up for the Heartbreak Hill Half Marathon and I didn't show up because I was anxious. And I don't really have a reason for that. Mm. But I, because I can be competitive, but, and I think there's an element of competitiveness that's necessary, but I don't know. For me, it's, 
getting to know my clients on a personal level and building a relationship with them to me has always been way more important than anything else. Because mm -hmm. if you have a relationship with somebody and they trust you and you're, you're, they feel safe with you, they're only going to have positive experiences from that point. Mm -hmm. And I think that me not drinking and understanding what that animal of like, I feel uncomfortable in a room full of people, so I'm going to drink shots until I don't feel uncomfortable anymore. People walk into the gym and they're uncomfortable because it's, it's a hard thing and it's very humbling when you get under a barbell and you try to do a back squat with a 45 pound barbell with no plates on it and you can't do it. Mm -hmm. And you're a grown man. I understand how that feels. I understand what it feels like to, I, I tried Brazilian Jiu Jitsu when I was in Los Angeles for a bit and I tried it once and I felt like I was standing at the base of a mountain because it's just like, and my cousin and her husband run, run a, a studio in Long Island, New York, and they're both black belts, I guess. I might be speaking out of school, but I know he is. Melissa, I believe you are too, if you're listening. But and they recommended the place to me and I tried it. And I remember I sat at my first day, I signed up and they asked me what my goals were mm. on the little piece of paper. And I wrote down weight loss. And, they, mm. and I, at the time I was 165 pounds and they looked at me and they started laughing. They were mm. like, where is it going to come from? Yeah. <laughs> and I, at the time I was like, well, these guys don't get it. These guys don't know. I could be more shredded. I yeah. could be more. <laughs> you haven't seen my true form. <laughs> yeah. Like that there's more abs underneath. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, when I was a kid, I had a belly for years. I remember I did swim team when I was little. My parents were like, do the swim team. And I'm a great swimmer now, so thank you, mom and dad. But at the time, I resented the shit out of it. I was like, I want to stay over at Jeff's house and not wake up early and go to practice. That sucks. But it taught me discipline. Mm. And I have a lot of discipline in my life as a result of the way my parents raised me. And at the time, it sucked. But I remember at swim team, I would always be the kid who, you know, like everybody's skinny when they're nine, you oh, know, yeah. or 10, 11. Everyone has abs at 11. I didn't. I had a tummy. I had like little love handles and like a little belly. So it wasn't much. It was just like I was growing. Mm. And I remember thinking like one of these days, man, I'm going to have abs. And like, it, I don't know, it just became like a fixation. Like mm. I used to go in the bathroom at restaurants and like take photos of my stomach when there was no one around. I'd be like, to yeah. like make sure they were still there. <laughs> yeah, I did some of that in high school. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd sneak up to the bathroom and i just Take go, a quick peek. I'd be like, ooh, it's coming in, it's coming right. in. <laughs> and I'd, I'd, I had like this file of just like in my camera roll and I still take, my friends always goof on me for sending selfies and stuff all the time and I post selfies and I'm still like, I'm more vain than I'd like to admit and I think that's a weakness to a degree and it's something I'd like to work on. Mm -hmm. Just like wondering. Okay. As long as you have the self-awareness. Yeah. It'll sure. come. You can work on it slowly. And we all have our weakness. I mean, that's the thing that kind of makes us all human, right? What do you think your biggest weakness is? I feel like I'm answering all the, I'm doing all the questions. I'm oh, talking. Oh, oh, I feel like I'm talking it. about me nonstop. And oh, that's, that, that's the whole point of the podcast. That's what this podcast yeah, is. You're the guest. <laughs> yeah. Well, on my podcast, the podcast is not just about me. So I'm like, that. You, I'm not used to being the guest, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I'll put it that way. What's you, yeah, but what is your biggest weakness? Shoot, my biggest weakness. Good luck with that question. Man, it's always a Have tough one, huh? It's always a tough one. It's always a tough one to answer. I think my biggest weakness is really taking my own advice. Mm. Like, as a physical therapist, as someone who's a coach for other people, right? I would tell people, you know, you, you need just you need to have proper sleep. You need to do your movements. Mm. You need to... You know, just take take a breather sometimes. Yeah. Go take a break. Take take a vacation. Don't take things so seriously. 
but on the other side of, of it is it's hard for me to do the, those things. Of course. So in <laughs> in a weird roundabout kind of way, I built the entire brand with these type of messages that I want to that I want people to accept. Like I want people to be calm. I want people to you know, respect their bodies. I want people to take care of themselves. I want people to not um, take themselves so seriously. But it, it is kind of a reminder for myself in a way. And I think building this whole big thing in which that is the mission in some way would help me listen to my own advice. Does that kind of make sense? Just like slow down a Just little like bit. slow down. Yeah. So for example, um, I made these sweaters, and inside the sweaters, I put quotes. Oh, far out. And this I one say, by the way, we, while we're on the subject. I'm going to get you one. Get me that exact leave. one. I don't know. What size are you? Is I'm large. It's large right here. Large. Maybe on the Air Next No, you know. You'll, you'll be not large? You'll get large. All right. Large. Done. So this one say, take care of yourself. The world needs you. Now. Wow. I like that. That's a nice touch. That's a nice touch. But, you know, I put these here as like a reminder of what the brand is about, but at the same time, it is words that I would like to hear for myself, that I think I need to hear for myself. Because oh. these are the things that, you know, it's tough. It's tough trying to do what we're trying to do, you know, trying to have a vision and trying to bring that vision to life. And there are times where you get down. There are times where you go, man, what am I doing? You know, I'm I've struggled with mental health for pretty much most of my life, especially all of my adult life, for sure. But I, I when I was a kid, it was ADD. It was depression. No one even was really calling it anxiety yet. But that's what it was. And right. I've been diagnosed bipolar. I don't know that that's accurate. I don't personally think it is. After I got sober, that leveled off quite a bit. But I think a, a, a trait of that mindset is thinking that it's not you. Mm -hmm. So I honestly don't know, but I'm on medication now and I'm doing, for the third time, I'm doing what's called transmagnetic cranial stimulation therapy, TMS. Mm. If you're unfamiliar with it, uh, the comedian Neil Brennan does a podcast called Blocks and he also did a Netflix special called Blocks where he does kind of explain it a bit and there's a little bit of it at the end of him actually doing it. It's sort of a helmet that you wear with a little cap inside it's, mm. and they, it's sort of like electro pulses to parts of your brain that... I don't want to say are dormant, that might be the wrong word, but for lack of a better word, dormant parts of your, of the, uh, of your cranium, of, of your brain. And, and for me, it's been, it does work. Mm. Um, therapy, the whole group therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, yeah. um, you name it. I tried I every it. medication under the sun. I love it. You know, I'm, I've been really diving into more of like the neuroscience. Well, if you mm. follow any of my content, the yeah, nervous yeah. system is kind of my thing, right? For sure. But I, the content I put out is the nervous system in respect to how the body moves because the body moves in a way that's very subconscious. We don't have to think about, like, when I'm doing this, I'm not thinking about, I'm going to use my biceps or whatever. Right. But another part of the nervous system is, like, electro, electromagnetic. Yeah. You know? Like, when you enter a room and you feel the energy's off or you feel the energy's right, that's real shit. I hate that. But it's, it's is, good to have it. But it's real shit, though. Yeah. You know, there is that part of it. And when you put that, you know, whatever, 
I don't, I don't want to like downplay because I don't know enough about it. Right. But there's, there's stuff to it. Grounding, like having your, your, your socks off and putting your feet on soil, that does something to the body and the nervous system in a way. We look at- It's beneficial, oh, the yeah. grounding thing. I've always sort of written that off, to be honest. And I don't oh, want to yeah. get dirty. Dude, <laughs> get dirty, man, it's fine. I can like, get dirty? All right. Like having a plant here, I like a plant. The plant, there's something about nature. When we look at nature and we look at the patterns of nature, that patterns mm. exist in, within our body. And there is that neurological connection that we have with this right. physical earth. And it's amazing. I, I, I love to dive deeper into that realm. And we actually have someone coming in in, um, in a couple of weeks. She does EFT tapping. It's like she's tapping uh, meridians yeah, yeah, yeah. to open uh, blockages and uh, maybe so that's very something. similar to TMS then, yeah. Yeah, so it's, cool. I feel like it's in that same yeah, yeah. Uh, that same universe, realm, right? Yeah, c come join us actually. I'll, let, in, you, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know send when, me the when info. that's happening. Yeah, I'll send everyone the info. But yeah, I could really kind of go all day about the nervous system and how and how that works out. Because I mean, the more you, the more I learn about the human body, yeah. I start going into some faraway places. <laughs> you know, I start going into like, like There's a space. lot there. Your body is sort of like space in the sense that like, for me, I always joke with my wife, she loves space stuff, documentaries, movies, whatever. Oh man, we'll, we'll and get I along. Say, I say I hate it because I think, it's not that I hate it, it's that I think I'm afraid of it. Yeah, I think the endlessness of say like the bottom of the ocean or space itself and how like we have no clue what's even out there right. to a certain degree is horrifying. Yeah. It's to me. horrifying, it's fascinating. In a way it's humbling. Your brain is kind of that way too. Yeah. Like there's so much about the brain that we don't know. So much. So much. And there's connections that you can make with another person, with another human yeah. being without having to say a word. For sure. This energy yeah. that transpires between two people. Absolutely amazing. I know, know a guy. He's a personal trainer. He read all the books, like a nerd, true nerd. Just, you can- I'm name. so jealous of that. Just that like nerd mindset. I've always kind of been like the opposite of the like, I'm gonna network my way through this rather than actually put my head down and read the book. But you know what? I made, I made this thread earlier in a yeah. week and it said, um, I've come to the conclusion that my minor in psychology had done more for my clients than my major in kinesiology. <laughs> that's brilliant. I'm, I'm, I missed that if you posted it. That's, oh, I'll, that's I'll post it. But that is... Tag me in so I can... I'll tag you. I'd like I'll, to repost that. I'll tag you. Yeah. It is true because when you work... Cause it's this, You're man. not working with it's the this. body. You're, you're not working with the body. You're working with a human. If a human being is uncomfortable around you, if they come in... And your, I've seen trainers fall flat on their face who were the most brilliant exercise science type guys or they were the most jacked guy in the gym. And I've seen them fall flat in this business and not be able to retain a single client or sell their way out of a fucking paper bag based on, I honestly don't know, but I think a large portion of it is that, that if you're the most jacked person on the planet, it's the, the connection you're going to have with people that are coming to you to try to get their body back in shape is going to be hard because they're going to look at you as this unachievable thing yeah. of like, I'll never look like that. Why am I going to listen to this guy? This is a joke I like to make uh, yeah. with some of my friends. Um, so I used to be like a lot more lean and then I got like, you know, 
a little more like normal, like you look body great. type. Thank you, thank you. You are you are lean, by the way, but to the enough. I'm, gotcha. I'm in shape enough. And they're like, hey man, you're just not lean, not lean anymore. He said, well, if I get too lean, I can't relate, and I'll, I'll do worse in my business. Yeah. So this is for this is for the business. There's a sweet <laughs> spot in what we do, and not to mention the amount of dedication required to look like you know, like Chris Bumstead or something like that. Yeah. It's a lot, man. It's a lot. People don't understand how much effort that is. Like yeah. you can look at a guy like that and go like, oh, he's on steroids. And like, maybe he is, I don't know. Not up to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's nothing. You could take the steroids and you wouldn't change at all, pal, yeah. is the way I look at it when you look at guys like that. Guys like that, it's, it's so much dedication. My guess is he's a guy like Chris Bumstead, for example, is in the gym four hours a day. Mm-hmm. He sleeps nine hours a night. He eats everything perfect at the right times. The right po- he weighs every piece of meat he puts in his body, mm-hmm. and just lose right up in there. Yes, <laughs> and every person that gets to that level yeah. of extreme in their craft, they always have something loose up in there. Not a bad thing. No, it's well, a it's thing like I remind. It's like being heavily tattooed. I mean, you. I, I saw some dumb TikTok video about like 80% of people with heavily, who are heavily tattooed are mentally ill. And it's like, wow, <laughs> fuck you, but probably. It's like, you don't. I've never heard of that, but. It's a thing, for sure. It. You don't have somebody blast a needle on your ribs for seven hours in the most painful spot imaginable to get a little picture that you can yeah. keep for the rest of your life if there's not something going on upstairs. I think there's a connection of it. Like some guys will go, oh, I love the pain, man. No, you don't. It hurts like hell. It sucks. Every tattoo I've ever gotten has hurt like hell. Every now and then it's like not so bad. Like I was pleasantly surprised. I have, my wife's real name is Caitlin. So I have a C on my middle finger for Caitlin as a joke kind of, cause mm-hmm. you're not supposed to get your wife's name on you. It's bad luck. But oh, Caitlin's not her name anymore. Yeah, it's bad luck. Caitlin is her, uh, is not her name anymore. So. I got the C and like, I didn't feel that. This, mm. cause it was a bone, like it's a bony area, nothing. Yeah. But like some of them, like on the ribs, I thought I was gonna pass out. Like it's awful. Oh, like what, what, how do you choose your tattoos? Um, like I see like a cube, like, you know. The cube I thought was cool. I don't know. Like some of them it's like, like, like some like I have my nephew's name right here. I have an X for when I got 10 years sober five years ago here. Okay. I have enough, the name of my podcast here. I have my dog here. And I think I've covered all the ones that have a meaning. Everything else is just because I thought it was funny. Oh, like okay. a plastic lawn chair or a switchblade or a duck or a random yeah. tooth. I have like Simpsons characters and Hank Hill from King of the Hill. Yeah, on the I saw leg. the Hank like, Hill one. I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. That was like <laughs> that was I went a funny to, one. When you get to a certain point, with, and I, I don't want to be like the tattoo tour guy, because like, I hate that when people are like, let's talk about my ink. It's like my <laughs> least favorite guy on the planet. It's almost like you want to wear But sleeves. I'm interested, though. If you're actually interested and it's a thing, cool. Um, I would say sometimes you just like, I'll have like my, I have an artist, Steve, that I really like, a guy down in New Bedford. He's phenomenal. Uh, guy Adam on the North Shore, Jimmy on the North Shore, like certain uh, Terry, like certain people that I'll go see, and um, you know I'm not going to shout out everybody. It's not the Oscars, but <laughs> you'll go to them and you'll just like I know this guy's not going to fuck it up. He's cool, and I'll we'll be I'll go down there without even an idea in mind, and I'll just go. Oh, well, do we have two hours? Okay, and then at the last minute I'll go. How about this or whatever? Or sometimes it's a project like I'm getting my back done right now. What you going? What are you getting on your back? You want to see? It's, all right. I don't know if I'll cheat it to the camera or what, but it's, can you see it? Yeah, I can see it. 
Yeah, it's not okay. done yet. Is, is it a dragon? What no, it? it's a Grim Reaper oh, okay. with a, like a Black Panther on a leash. Oh, shit. It's because I said I wanted to Adam at North Shore Tattoo, another plug. I'm doing all the plugs. Adam yeah. is a cool guy. He's done a few of my other ones. And I said to him, I want to do my back and I want to have one design on the whole thing, which is sort of it's your best canvas, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, I want to do, I like cats, so I want a big cat and I want a Grim Reaper. Do your thing. And he drew something up and he sent me a picture of it and I was like, yeah. And then the next day I went in and seven hours later I had the outline. And then I went again a month later and seven hours later I had the whole bottom colored in. Fast forward probably three, four more sessions it'll be done. Mm. But it's a long process. Damn. Yeah, I feel like I want a tattoo. It's time. Get your logo. That's easy. This. <laughs> I'm not going to get my logo on it. <laughs> no good? thought about it. I have my logo somewhere. It actually, my logo tattoo is the only tattoo I've ever had that was completely infected. And like in the business, they call it falling out when the ink, like your body won't take the ink properly. And I had oh. to get it like touched up and it was still all scarred up and fucked. I have a little, the triangles. I got, the, my, I got my logo right before I started my business. Mm. And it was almost like it wasn't my logo yet. It was like a tattoo that I liked. And then I was like, I think this is going to be my logo. I was like, not sure. And then I had a graphic designer help me design it. And like, mm -hmm. now it is my logo and it's on my arm, but it looks all wonky. Oh. You can see it here. Oh, okay. See how jacked up it is? Yeah. Like it's what's called blown out where the lines just kind of, they don't take to your skin properly and they just expand and oh. look stupid. What did you like about the logo anyways? What, what made you choose that? Um, to be honest, I was working for another gym and I was the corporate sales manager was my title, which was like such a line of bullshit. And I, it was like, I'm a corporate sales manager. And I think I made it up myself. Mm. And it was like, that was my thing. Cause it was like, I called up Wayfair and said like, we have a group discount. Like, would you like to sign up with us? And then I would stand around doing a table wearing my golf shirt. Mm. I remember being like, I got to get out of here. This isn't for me. And I knew I wanted to start my own, my own place. And I, so I just started Googling geometric images mm. and I went through about 4,000 of them. And then I came across the two triangles. It means nothing. Mm. There's no, like yours has a cool fucking story to it. I wish I could say like, you know, in, in my culture of like Irish people from the South shore, Love uh, triangles. Yeah, the triangles <laughs> actually symbolize strength and overcoming adversity. There's uh, no meaning to it whatsoever. It's just I thought it looked cool and I could put my yeah. name inside and I was like, cool, I'm vain. I'll put Ank in the title. Boom, call it a day. There you go. And that was it. There was no meaning. There's no greater purpose to it. It just, and it does, the beauty of my logo is it trans, I gave you one of my keychains. It translates to keychains, to stickers, to a wall, decal. I've just got a neon sign. Yeah, I saw that. The neon sweet. sign is sweet, yeah. Yeah. I'm really happy about it. You can see it driving by, which is cool. Yes. And it, I don't know. I, light up signs are my thing. We got this big light up sign. I was going right to say, you got, that you got a cool sign. I want to do, now that I, I, the company I used was, was great. And I'm like, okay, now I can get a, my, the, the like never enough mentality we're ta we've talked about no. is there where I'm like, let's get a bigger sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. Just the thing is like, I'm never going to be satisfied. Like I am nitpicking this place and, and most people come in and they're like, Hey, this place is great. You know, I'm like, uh, aesthetically it's, it's stunning. Like people must walk in here and just sign up immediately. Yeah, people just love the place. Go. People love the place. Most but, physical therapy offices that you walk into, you walk in and it's very clinical. It's not cozy. 
And it's something that very much should be cozy in the sense of like... It just, makes sense it should be, right? Yeah. And not to knock any of the physical therapy people. I've seen a lot of great people over the years. I won't list competitors, but I've hurt myself a bunch of times. And when you hurt yourself, you're at your most vulnerable. So why would you not want to come to a place like this where it's soft and it's quiet and it's good sound absorption and there's like nice people greeting you and it's just like a vibe. Yeah. You've achieved a vibe here that I think the next time I hurt myself, here I come. Because yeah. I broke my elbow two years ago. I didn't know you yet, but physical therapy for me, I, I think that it's something that if it's too clinical and it's not personal enough, you're missing out. What I've found is physical therapy at its highest level becomes all personal. That's what I found. Yeah. Because especially when we're talking about an injury that's been going on for a while, right? An acute injury, fine. It's easy. Right. You know, if you fell or like you hurt your shoulder doing something, there's like a clear mechanism of injury. There's a pretty good protocol that you can follow and generally you're going to get the results that you're looking for. But it's those like old ones that's been around for a couple of years and it's been like nagging. Now we have conversations over conversations over conversations. Right. And these conversations aren't just physical. The conversations are like mental. Yeah. These conversations are like, yeah, I hurt this shoulder, so now I'm scared to do handshakes with my right, and people think I'm rude, so now. And there's that story that plays out. And when you don't know the person in front of you, right. you don't understand these stories, and you don't hear these stories. No. And when you don't hear these stories, you miss so many of these puzzle pieces. And when you're in an environment in which everything is a chaotic, there's no calmness, you're not going to get these stories from these people. So the place, the environment, yeah. the way it's calm, it's huge. is to create the environment where someone will open up and tell us the necessary, necessary information yeah. for us to actually piece it all together. So this is why we do, do it like this. Right. The aesthetic is one, but it serves, as, it serves a therapeutic purpose to it. Yeah, for sure. Because it, it lets people bring that initial, because not everybody jumps into physical therapy with the best intentions or thinking, oh, this is something that's going to work. Like a lot of people come in with skepticism with anything. Oh, yeah. And it's eliminating that immediately. It's just bringing barriers down by making people at their most comfortable. I think it's brilliant. And I try to do that too in the sense that if I get an idea of what someone likes for music, I'll try to play that. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's challenging if there's two trainers, two clients, you know, happening, but... The personal side, as to touch back on that again, the personal touches, I make, like you do, make, give your client a beverage and give them a place to put their things down that isn't just like some sidewalk. <laughs> give somebody a place to feel like, oh, I can park my car here and like I'm comfortable here and then I can do this. And then like I have, you know, everything is, to me, cleanliness is so important mm -hmm. for any environment, any business. If you go into the bathroom in a business and it's gross in there. Mm -hmm. You're immediately, your mind is already wandering. You're already thinking, well, maybe mm -hmm. this isn't the place. The environment is huge. Lighting is huge. I yes. mean, I know I've seen your house, pictures of it at least, and everything is just intentional. I saw the lighting in there. It's, it's a vibe, man. It's an yeah. atmosphere. I wish people can see this place. It's like it's, it's like a museum. We got a lot of colors I love going it. on. Yeah, I love it. But it's a, a combination of of my wife and my tastes and interests and. We started off with a place, it's a, our house is a cape, 
and it's a beautiful little two-story cape. We were, we love it. It's a tiny little place, but it's ours and it's great. And we started off with like that typical like Nantucket white people aesthetic, which is like my kryptonite. Like it's literal poison to me. Like, yeah. I can't look at it. <laughs> I just hate it, and I've just, it's everywhere. Like that millennial gray, like ship lap, uh -huh. and like, I'm just like, <laughs> the like big Nantucket whale on the wall. Like, yeah, yeah, Nantucket yeah. sucks. No offense <laughs> if you're big Nantucket people, but it just, it's my, you don't like it's it my nightmare. You don't like it because everyone's doing it. Well, right. I'm yeah, a contrarian. Yeah. So if yeah, oh, you yeah. tell me, oh, you want to go to Fagawi? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, that's in Martha's Vineyard anyway. Yeah. Um, I know my white people stuff. It's like a, I'll compare myself like to Blade in that sense. If you're familiar with the Wesley Snipes movie where he's a vampire, but like not really. They call him the Daywalker, yeah, where yeah, like yeah. he knows the way of the vampire and he can, he take he doesn't need the blood, but like he does his like vampire yeah, yeah. medicine to keep himself at bay. Like that's me with like that white people knowledge in the back of my <laughs> brain of like, like I know like I can walk into a country club. And go like this. Hey, how are you doing, Bill? And great um, to meet you. God. How'd you hit him today? And no one has any clue that that's not me at all. And I can put that fucking face on. I can do it. And it's uh, some people need that. My life, thank God, I've evolved to a point where I'm working with a lot of guys and girls and people from Europe and people of color and people with different backgrounds and people who get it and people who are nerds and interesting and. I don't have to put a show on anymore, and that's awesome, but it's, I can. You can, but it's also, it's just tiring, man, to put on a show. Oh, for sure. Like, it's I'm always a little show. I'm doing a show right now. I'm being yeah. a fun podcast guy, but. Yeah, but hey, but you're not trying too hard. No. You're not trying too Because people notice, people who have brains, and most people that can afford a service like mine or yours are going to be a smart person. I don't have any clients that are not as smart or smarter than me, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. I work with a really bright group of people. And yeah. for those of you listening, but for me, it's, it's one of those things where I, I don't know, for, this is a side note, but for as long as I can remember, I've always liked being the dumbest guy in the room. I like hanging out with people that make me, it's like going for a run. If you're running with someone who's way slower than you, you're not gonna improve. Mm -hmm. I prefer to be confused. If I'm, I, and I'm, I don't want to teach anybody anything. I want to be the one who can mm -hmm. kind of absorb things. And, you know, I have a different mechanism when it comes to learning than most. But I, li I like to surround myself with people like that. Interesting, unique, eclectic, brilliant, you know, yeah. unique people. Absolutely. Same here. Which, I, which is why I brought you on. Appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been excellent. I've had a lot of fun. And... Um, Thank yeah, you, man. Yeah, a Thank lot about tattoos, socks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you have any more sock questions, you can find me at ankfit.com or uh, ank underscore fit on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to ask, where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> ank you underscore fit, I think, is probably the best move. Um, mm -hmm. My website's got my cell on there. And shoot me a text. I put my, when I opened up, I put my, my cell phone number on the door. And I said, just text me. I don't care. Yeah. Like, yeah. My friend was like, are you going to put that there? Like, people are going to bother you. To be perfectly honest, no one calls anybody anymore. So it's mm -hmm. like, if I get a text, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, because it means it's probably someone who wants to yeah. get in the gym. And Ryan also have a, a couple of really stellar trainers under his uh, company, I who I know personally, and I can really vouch for them. So you guys are looking for some personal training, emphasize the personal, that's your guy right here. Thank you. I do yeah. have, I'm blessed to have a wonderful team of people at uh, the space. I'm always looking to expand for 
fill in spots of times where my guys are too busy, but uh, I, I have bios for all my trainers on my website. So I believe it's angfit.com slash trainers. Um, and thanks for having me. Um, I'm definitely going to come to that energy thing that you were talking about. Oh yeah, I'll let you know. Let me know. Mm -hmm. And uh, thanks. Cool. Wrap it up. Oh.